Red 6, this is Blue Actual. Do you copy over? Roger, Blue Actual. Red 6 copies. Red 6, bring up your platoon to the line. Roger, Blue Actual. We're on the move. Welcome, my friends, to the View from the Front podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine, an author, and a guy who spent more than 10 years in the news business. Every week, I primarily do three things. Cover emerging hotspots and foreign policy news that you absolutely should know. Work to unite our country and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America. And finally, I always share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode. This podcast comes out every Thursday, so make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. And if you love the show, you can always help sustain and support the show for $5 per month. And with that out of the way, let's get started. This is the Thursday, June 1st edition of The View from the Front. We're really glad to have you here. We have lots to cover today, and I feel quite confident that these are things you haven't seen in the news. As I always say, our media does a terrible job covering our military and potential hotspots, so I'm hoping to fill this void. As you know, I have timestamps in the episode notes, so if you want to jump to a certain section, you can easily do so. And as always, we will end the episode with plenty of motivation and wisdom. I thought we would begin by doing just a couple of quick little things. Since it was Memorial Day, I do hope everyone had a great Memorial Day, that you got to spend some time with your family or friends. I wanted to just honor two special people who gave their lives in service of our country. Uh, The first one is a gentleman named Bobby Fisher. He was a big reason I ended up joining the Marine Corps. He retired as a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps, but as a young boy growing up, he was a man I looked up to. He was probably the only Marine I knew before joining, and while I knew some uh, folks who had served in the Navy and in the Army and in the Air Force, this was the only Marine I knew growing up, and I just respected, and he just seemed different to me. He was quiet. He never, you know, he stood tall. He pulled his share of the load, but he never boasted or talked big, and so I really looked up to him. And then when I was a young man, I think about 13 or 14, was when Desert Shield, Desert Storm happened. And so Gunnery Sergeant Fisher went over there, he served, and he came back. And while he survived combat, uh, his combat engineer uh, company was in a lot of combat. Uh, But while he did survive combat, he did eventually succumb to what became known as Gulf War Syndrome. Now I know some may quibble and say he didn't die in service or combat, but... All I know for a fact is that this man left Granger County, which is a small county in East Tennessee, a strong man, and upon his return, he soon found himself struggling with an undiagnosed disease. He started losing weight. He started losing his strength. He got to where he could. He was unable to do any kind of work or do anything physical. And this was a guy who used to just carry a very heavy ruck for fun to train for his drill meetings. He was one of the. He was a tough dude. He would die at the age of 47, and believe me when I say his last years were miserable. So I don't care what anyone says. This man, you know, he was killed by the war no differently than someone who took a bullet over there. I don't know if it was some kind of gas or something that they encountered. I don't, I don't know. You can read all about Gulf War Syndrome if you want, but in my opinion, he gave his life for our country. And then the second man I'd like to honor is Lance Corporal Andre Foster. Foster actually served with me and my buddies in 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, and unfortunately, uh, Foster passed as we were doing part of uh, jungle warfare training in Okinawa. We were doing a dangerous stream crossing, and unfortunately, 
Lance Corporal Foster passed, and as as is so often the case, you it's always the best that you seem to lose. And we were all very young, 18, 19, 20, 21, and Foster was just a tad older and was married and two kids. And of course, very few of us had were married or had kids, and it's just really sad that we lost one of the best Marines we had. And so in the source notes, I actually, uh, Foster was a great Marine. I knew him, but he wasn't a different platoon. But I did share in the source notes, if you want to take a look, a tribute that was written by one of his best friends from that platoon. So I did want to mention those two. I try to mention them every Memorial Day. So I really appreciate you letting me do that, and now we will get to the news. I don't plan on spending too much time on this, but I did want to cover the final results from that race in Turkey. We have been covering Turkey for the last two or three weeks, and I've talked about how important it is as a country to NATO. I've talked about Erdogan and some of the authoritarian characteristics he's had and as well as some of the rifts that he's had with NATO and the West but that he's also challenged Putin to some degree regarding the Black Sea and a couple of other things but he was up for re-election he was in a runoff and I talked about that maybe there was a chance that he could win but then the third place person who couldn't run endorsed Erdogan instead of the challenger so that election happened since the last podcast, and Erdogan was re-elected. So I'm not sure that that's the best news for, you know, listeners and folks who are hoping that Turkey might start to move toward a more pro-Western direction. But he did win. He won with 52% of the vote, which we talked about last week would be the likely outcome since that third uh, candidate who had about 5% of the vote and was even more strict conservative than he than Erdogan. Once he in- endorsed Erdogan, it was basically over, and Erdogan did win. So I'm not going to go into that much, but there is a link to that story if you want to take a look at it in the podcast notes. And there is a bit in there about all the things that he now faces as the re-elected leader of Turkey. And there are quite a few things that he's got to deal with. Let's move from the Middle East and Turkey to the war in Russia and Ukraine. And there's a more important story I want to get to in just a moment. But first, I wanted to run a correction. I always think that running corrections, if we make a mistake, is one of the most important things we can do. And this one, unfortunately, the Russians got us. I I didn't misquote anything. I didn't misstate anything. I reported what was out there, but the Russians, who have not been very good at propaganda during this war, actually managed to pull off a propaganda feat this last week that I reported on and that almost every intelligence analyst fell for. Now, if you recall in last week's edition, in the May 25th podcast, I talked about that Ukraine wants to cut the land bridge to the Russian land bridge from Russia that extends into and out to the Crimean Peninsula, which is currently only connected by a land bridge, and the actual very large, long 12-mile bridge that connects Russia to the Crimean Peninsula. So there's a land route and there's a bridge route. And while I was discussing last week this land route and this bridge that connects Russia with 
the Crimean Peninsula. I mentioned that Ukraine had launched another attack on Russia's fleet and had used three explosive-laden sea drones, which are unmanned, of course, to attack one of Russia's ships. And I reported what was the facts at the time, which is all media was stating this, as well as all intelligence analysts, that the three drones had gotten close, but had all been sunk. And there was a video online of these drones getting shot at, and so I talked about that. Since last week, however, we have learned that actually one of those drones did successfully hit the intelligence ship named the Ivan Kurz. At least one of those sea drones laden with explosives hit the left side rear of that ship, or what in naval terminology is called the port side rear. And you can see the explosion. I've got a link to it. We don't know how bad it's been damaged. The Russians are doing a good job. They actually posted video trying to pretend it had been undamaged of it arriving in port. Now, a lot of analysts are trying to figure out when that video was shot. But what's interesting is that, and you can get really into the weeds on this, but a couple of things. One, Russia has been removing the numbers on its ships as well as changing the names to try to confuse observers. And two, the video only shows... It does appear that perhaps this is the most recent video and it was the ship arriving, but the Russians were very sneaky and they only shot video from the right-hand side of the ship if this is the same ship, which most people think it is. So they didn't show the other side of the ship and a lot of analysts are now trying to see is it partly flooded with water because it's not listing to the left or right. So they're like, well, maybe they flooded both sides of the compartment so it, sit, it sits upright, but maybe it's sitting lower. So lots of people are really trying to dig into the weeds as to how badly damaged the ship may be. But at any rate, I did want to post that correction because I'm a big believer that corrections are very important and they shouldn't be buried in the newspaper in about a you know one-inch box on page two. If you say something one week and you were incorrect, it should be prominently displayed the next week that something you reported was incorrect. Again, if you want to see and really get into the weeds, I do have a link that shows the explosion, which is pretty, very large, I would say, or very amazing, pretty big for sure. You can watch that explosion to the ship, and you can also see video... I presume Ukraine released this from the sea drone as it approaches the left rear or port side rear of that ship. And you can see the Russians firing at it. You can see bullets hitting the water and then boom, it hits the side. The video goes away because obviously the video was on a, a ship that was filled with explosives or a small drone. So the video disconnects with the explosion, but then you combine that with the angle from the other video that has been released by someone, perhaps a Ukrainian intelligence as well, and you combine the two, and it's pretty clear that ship was pretty badly damaged, although now the Russians, of course, are still trying to play their games and act as if it's not. With all of that out of the way, let's get to the biggest story from the past week, and that involves the upcoming Ukrainian offensive. So we have been talking about this coming spring offensive for Ukraine forever now. It feels like anyway, but at least going back through the winter as we worried about substations, electrical substations in Ukraine being hit by Russian drones and 
Russia trying to break the will of the Ukrainian people. We said all along that if Ukraine could get through the winter, as they train more troops, as they get more Western equipment, the spring offensive could be big. And then some Western analysts said, eh, we're not so sure it's big. I've said all along I think it's going to be big. I think the Russian troops are demoralized. And I wanted to talk just a second about the spring offensive because Ukraine's top military commander said on Saturday that they are ready. And he said, quote, it's time to get back what's ours. And I wanted to share, if you haven't seen this video, it is amazing. Of course, Ukraine is very good at putting out just really well done videos. And I want to I want to actually I'm going to read the transcript. I've got a link to the video if you want to watch it. But I want you to just hear this because it just is like It'll have you so motivated you'll want to like sign up and go fight yourself over there. But it's like the beginning of a just an incredible movie release that's about to come out that you're excited to see. So I'm going to share about 30 seconds of just the the music, the just the deep bass of this unbelievably well-produced video and then I'll read the transcript so you don't even have to go look at uh, watch it if you're driving or if you're at work and you can't get on YouTube I'll tell you what the transcript is but listen listen to this start of it it'll be just 20 or 30 seconds of it but it is absolutely worth sharing this Okay, so I think that gives you a good idea, and it's so impressive. There's tanks, there's the rockets firing. We've talked so much about those uh, multiple launch rocket systems, the high Mars. There's a sniper in it. There's these infantry in the woods, and they're all screaming. There's troops in formation, and it is just so impressive. Like I said, I've got it linked in the source notes if you want to go watch it, but... Just for convenience for those driving, those at work, I know not everyone can go to the source notes. Let me read you the transcript because the words themselves are just, they are motivating. So it begins with the commander, and of course the only word you probably understood in all of that that I shared a moment ago of the audio was the word Ukraine. So there's the commander, he walks out, he's this bearded, tough-looking guy in full combat uniform, rifled, whole nine yards. And he begins, so the commander says, Ukraine is my motherland. Lord, our father who is in heaven, bless me. And then the troops say, bless us. The commander says, I am going to destroy. The troops say, the enemies of my dear country, the murderers of my brothers, the rapists of my sisters. The commander says, may my hand be firm. The troops say, to slay our enemies. 
The commander says, Let my weapon be in good order. The troops say, To slay our enemies. The commander says, Let my will be of steel. The troops say, To slay our enemies. And then the commander says, Ukraine, my native motherland. And then the troops all scream, Lord, our heavenly Father, bless us. Our decisive offensive, our sacred vengeance, our holy victory. And then there's a little part at the end where it says that to join those who will be raising the banner of victory. And there's a link. But it is very motivating and just exceptional quality. And it's just further proof that there's so many things that they are thinking of. And that's why I believe they've really, really planned this thing out. I did see on social media, I should have saved the link, but there was a large convoy of pontoon, of trucks with the pontoon bridges. And there must have been, I don't know, there was a bunch of them, 8, 10, 15 of these things, a bunch of them. And it was uh, taped by someone in a car, civilian, who loaded it to social media, which I wish they wouldn't do stuff like that because I'm sure that wherever that location was, it could be geolocated by Russian intelligence so that they might have a better idea. But as good as Ukraine is, there's also a small chance that they uploaded that, that they drove the convoy to somewhere they don't plan on going, and maybe they uploaded it. They seem to be really good at psyops. So it's still very unclear where this offensive will come or where it will hit, but they look to me like they are very, very ready. Now... If you're a skeptic, you might say, well, that's just propaganda. Of course, those tanks look good. Of course, they all, you know, they did all this. But I would counter that with saying, well, what is Russia doing? Have you seen any great propaganda from Russia lately? Have you seen any troops that were in new equipment or that looked motivated? These troops, as I've said so many times, have been trained in the West. They're now armed with NATO weapons, and they're fighting for their homeland. And I I just believe it's just going to be like a tiger ripping into a lamb or something. I think they're going to absolutely just destroy the Russians. Wherever they decide to hit, they are going to hit them so hard. And I think they're going to do that on purpose to try to just break the will of the Russian army. I think they want the entire army to literally just flee in terror. And I wouldn't want to be on the other end of them. I'll say that for sure. One final point about this comes from Senator Lindsey Graham, who's the Republican senator or U.S. senator from South Carolina. And he told Politico he's actually traveled to Ukraine three times since this most recent invasion a year ago from Vladimir Putin and Russia. And the article is interesting because it talks about that, you know, he went there in the beginning of the war when, as he described it, the Zelensky administration appeared shell-shocked, and they were obviously nervous. No one knew exactly what was going to happen if the Russians could take the capital city of Kiev. This was a massive invasion. And now Lindsey Graham is saying that Zelensky has a bounce in his step, that he appears confident. And in the political article, I just want to quote from a couple of parts from that. I've got the link in the source notes if you want to read it. But Lindsey Graham says that the Russians are in for, quote, a rude awakening when the Ukrainian counteroffensive begins. Lindsey Graham actually received a, quote, deep dive, end quote, briefing on Ukraine's military plans from Vlad uh, Volodymyr Zelensky himself, as well as his team. 
And, of course, he's not disclosing any of that. But he did provide a quote to Politico that said, In the coming days, you're going to see a pretty impressive display of power by the Ukrainians. And, as Politico noted, this follows President Zelensky saying on Monday that decisions have been made about when the troop movements will begin. So, certainly, this Ukrainian counteroffensive is... It might even be happening as you listen to this on Thursday, but it looks like it's about to kick off, and we're going to see once and for all where they're going to hit and how hard they're going to hit and how well these new troops do. Of course, these new troops, they have not been replenishing some of the troops on the front line, so new equipment. Most of these troops have not seen combat experience. The uh, units on the front lines that have been holding, they've had high casualties, and they're pretty worn down. But one of the things that Ukraine has done is that instead of sending up better equipment to the front lines, instead of sending up additional reserves to hold the line, they have withheld those resources and they are saving them for this counteroffensive. So this is going to be a big, big risk, big test. But again, as I've said all along, I think I think we're going to be quite pleased and surprised at how successful they are. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please sign up for email notifications. It's free to do so unless you choose to subscribe and support what I'm doing. Make sure to visit my website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. From there, you can subscribe to the show by email so you'll never miss a future show. Again, that's free. Or you can support the show and help me reach my dreams by signing up for a $5 per month subscription. People are always asking me on social media how to best support my dreams, including getting out future books sooner, which I promise you I'm trying to do. Believe me, the best way to support me is by signing up for a paid subscription on my Substack page. Long term, becoming a full-time author again would provide more time for me to write fiction, cover news, and try to unite the country and motivate others. And these are all things I feel drawn to do, which my regular listeners definitely know. So again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com, or you can sign up at Patreon or Venmo. All of these links can be found on my Substack page, and obviously you can cancel at any time. Let's move to the air war for just a moment over Ukraine. Unfortunately, Ukraine's capital, Kyiv, has been under relentless drone and missile attacks the past few days. I've got just some information about that in the source notes if you want. Uh, One media article described how the capital, Kyiv, has had a third wave of strikes in 24 hours. The Russians have been varying how they attack and the times they attack. And they actually did a daylight raid, which is something they haven't done in a while. And... That same article talked about there's been 17 attacks in 30 days, which rivals some of the worst frequency of attacks since the invasion began more than a year ago. So Russia has definitely stepped up these attacks. Now the Ukrainians continue to knock down the vast majority of these missiles, somewhere between 80-90%, depending on the math and how many of them you're counting. But it's still just really wearing down the Ukrainian citizens. We've talked about that. And in the daylight raid, you can find social media video of kids running out of schools and in down streets and, you know, obviously scared as, as any kid would be and as any adult would be as some of these missiles and drones rain into 
the heart of the capital. Having said this, I'm not sure if the timing was an accident. It doesn't seem to have been. But Ukraine or some internal foe of President Putin, who is inside Russia, hit back. And on the day that the worst of those drone and missile attacks happened and that daylight attack happened, which was definitely an escalation, Ukraine or some internal foe inside Russia of Putin had a drone drone attack or drone strike against the capital of Russia, Moscow. Eight of them were used. Most of them were shot down, but three apparently hit. Uh, There were a few people perhaps wounded. They don't appear to have been that powerful or that large as far as explosions. You can see some of the damage on social media, but it definitely, I think, rattled Putin's cage, who's tried to do his best to act like very nonchalant about this war. And so this was the kind of thing that you can't ignore. There was anti-aircraft weapons firing inside Moscow, which, of course, everyone can hear, and then they hear these explosions. So it's just kind of a a wake-up call to those who have been ignoring this war or not actively protesting, which, of course, if you do actively protest, you do get thrown in jail. So most Russian citizens have just kept their mouth shut or the males have left the country. But this was a attack that was led by some group, hasn't been claimed yet, and it did hit. Three of them did get through, and they showed some of the weaknesses of the anti-aircraft positions around Moscow. So I'm sure Putin isn't too happy that this happened. This next story I wanted to mention just briefly is that it it very well aligns with the one I just covered, which Putin continues to seem unconcerned with all of this. The New York Times had a great piece that talked about how it went through Putin's daily schedule uh, about a week ago, and it talked about how Putin rarely even talks about the war in public. So I wanted to just share that and just a couple little parts from that just real quick. The first thing I wanted to mention from the article is that, according to analysts that the New York Times interviewed, they believe that Putin thinks he can win by exhausting his foes. Now, we've talked about this last year, that they thought that the West would get tired of assisting or sending aid to Ukraine and that America would get tired or the Republicans would take control of the House and suddenly it would all change or Europe would get tired. Neither of those things happened. So that was the first thing. But apparently Putin still believes that the strategy at some point will work. The other thing the article mentions is that according to the U.S. Director of National Intelligence the in a, in a meeting with Congress, The director of the National Intelligence for the U.S. says that the chances that Putin would make any concessions in talks this year were low unless he were to feel a domestic political threat. So just wanted to mention that because if these spring offensives from Ukraine were to be very successful, he still may not want to do anything. And in fact, he still may decide to implement a second military draft to as the article says, replenish his depleted troops. Now that adds the political stress that he would face, but that is an option for him. I want to mention just one final thing before we move away from the news in Russia and Ukraine, and that is, believe it or not, the price of natural gas in the EU has reached a two-year low. I've posted an image to a chart that shows how it peaked and how high it went at one point during the Russian invasion, As you will recall, Vladimir Putin had hoped that he would basically use energy as a 
weapon of terrorism and that he hoped he could hold Europe hostage with these increases of the price of natural gas that the people in Europe would get sick of supporting Ukraine and that everyone would bow down and allow Russia to take Ukraine and allow the war to end in a successful way for Russia. But it has backfired. The U.S. and other countries have been feeling that lack of natural gas from Russia, and so they have cut themselves off from a large part of the European market and basically cut their own throats as far as economically, and that is quickly being replaced, and now natural gas prices are, as I said, at a two-year low. So I'm sure that's not a great thing for Putin to have to think about, and I'm confident that most European countries will be very hesitant to sign any future agreements with a with a country that will threaten to or decide to just cut off agreements as far as how much natural gas they will actually supply. As I have said so many times, and the long-time listeners know this, Vladimir Putin, in my opinion, is not a brilliant strategist or anything like that. He has just bullied a lot of countries into getting what he wants, but he has pretty much wrecked his country, and he will be lucky to survive this latest folly that he has launched. All right, let's move to some China news. There's really just two things I want to cover regarding China, and they're neither are very large stories, but they're also at the same time very indicative of, or indicative, I guess is the right way to say that, of what is going on between China and the U.S. right now. The first is that the U.S. is saying that the Chinese, uh, Chinese jet conducted an, quote, unnecessarily aggressive maneuver intercepting a U.S. spy plane over the South China Sea. I've got a link to that story in CNN. You can watch what happens, but the short of it is a fighter jet goes in front of one of our slower-moving intelligence jets, which is just like a, it looks like basically a commercial airliner with, you know, four engines on the wings, slow-moving, just a reconnaissance aircraft flying straight. So they have this jet fighter come up from the side or the flank, and it goes right in front of ours, kind of at a steep angle, but the tailwind or the turbulence behind those jets makes our plane jump up and down and, you know, obviously creates turbulence. So that was a dangerous maneuver, according to the U.S. Interestingly, China says on Wednesday, in response to that story, that the U.S. spy plane, quote, deliberately intruded, end quote, into China's training area. Now, what's really going on there is that they're flying over the South China Sea, which is area that China is increasingly saying is Chinese territory. That's not the case. It's been international waters forever, but we've talked about how China's creating some man-made islands there by bringing in rocks and dredging up, obviously, soil from the sea. And so they're trying to build up these islands, and then they're going to try to claim that this is Chinese territory. The U.S. continues to fly around it and send ships through that area to keep those sea lanes open because so much trade goes through Asia that the U.S. and the rest of the world doesn't want to see this area get closed down. The second story I wanted to just briefly mention is that China has rejected a U.S. request for a meeting between defense chiefs. Uh, The Secretary of Defense for the United States, Lloyd Austin, is wanting to meet with his counterpart, and China has rejected that again. And this increasing rejection is starting to become public. This goes back to the balloon incident when China flew a balloon over the United States. 
Secretary of State Antony Blinken canceled a trip to meet with the Chinese leader, and so that really upset them. And the president of China, Xi Jinping, was, I guess, insulted by this cancellation, and he didn't think the balloon flying over the United States was that big a deal and wasn't happy that we shot that thing down. So there have been, obviously, some tensions since then that have not been resolved The dangerous thing of this is that there's very little communication between the United States and China. So if there were to be an incident between aircraft or naval craft near these islands, we don't have great communication with China right now. Whereas during the Cold War, we did with Russia. If there was any kind of a almost of a skirmish or tense situation, we could pick up the phone. You see it in the movie as like the red phone, but you could pick the phone up call a general or someone in Russia and you could de-escalate things. We don't have that with China right now, so that is a concern as these tensions continue. This final thing I want to mention as far as news involves Afghanistan and then we'll get to the uh, motivation and wisdom portion. But this is just kind of a funny story. I'll spend like 20 seconds on it. But I talked about last week that that Afghan defense minister had acted like he was scared of Iran and he took a jug and put some water in it and said, oh, take this before we're so scared in Afghanistan. And I said, you know, it's kind of funny because both countries have, you know, religious, intolerant, crazy leaders that think they are right about everything and who are completely unreasonable. And sure enough, since the last week, some fighting has flared up along the border. There was three or four people wounded and killed. But I've shared video link that Afghanistan is so mad about this that they are there's this large convoy, at least by Afghanistan standards, of it looks like about 10 vehicles or so, armored personnel carriers moving toward the border because Afghanistan's now infuriated about this little bit of fighting. So this will be interesting to watch. It's kind of humorous. I have very little sympathy for either side, clearly, and that's probably not good of me, but... At any rate, we'll see what happens between the two. I think Iran will not want to get dragged into this too much because fighting Afghanistan is, as so many countries have proven, whether it was the United Kingdom, whether it was the United States, whether it was Russia, getting involved in fighting in Afghanistan is just a great way to lose lots of troops, spend a ton of money, and there's just not a lot to conquer. It's a massive place. It's got people who do not have very high literacy rates and they are not very easily controlled is I guess the nicest way to say all of that so I don't think Iran will want to get too involved in this but I do think Iran will have the ability if they choose to to smash up this little bit of a column that Afghanistan thinks it's sending of course the Afghans are best at guerrilla warfare and putting IEDs out not in mechanized large maneuver warfare. So I think Iran, if it wants to, can pretty easily knock aside these folks. But if they do invade Afghanistan to try to take some of these water right areas or these rivers, they're going to end up dealing with an insurgency that's not going to be fun. All right, so let's get to the best part of the show. We're going to begin the motivation and wisdom section with a little pep talk because someone out there needs to hear this. I know someone out there needs to hear this. Listen, life is passing you by. You only get one shot at life and you're letting it slip through your fingers day by day. Life has beaten you down, kicked you in the face, ignored you, punished you, rained on you, 
assailed you with illnesses and injuries, burdened you with debts and levels of despair that I know are breaking your spirit. But you have to get up. Do you hear me? You have to get up. You're going to get up, and you're going to get up now, and you're going to start fighting back. Do not let despair win. Get up and take a step forward to confront these things facing you right now. Do it now. And let the following items that I'm going to share lift your spirit and take you to a higher level. You can do this. You're meant to do this. And you have to do this. For yourself, for your family, for your creator. And with all of that being said, I truly hope these help pick up your spirits, that they help revive your hopes, and that they help make you a better person. I hope that pep talk helped motivate you and wake you up. And now that you're paying attention, let's share a few more items to help feed and motivate you. Here is the first one. Success doesn't lead to happiness. It's the other way. Happiness leads to success. It's only when you love what you are doing that you have any shot at succeeding. Again, that one was success doesn't lead to happiness. It's the other way. Happiness leads to success. It's only when you love what you are doing that you have any shot at succeeding. Next one. Your best teacher is your last mistake. Again, that one is your best teacher is your last mistake. Next one. If you think big, believe big, act big, then the results will be big. It's another great one. If you think big, believe big, act big, then the results will be big. Next one. A man is great not because he hasn't failed. A man is great because failure hasn't stopped him. That was a quote from Confucius. Again, it is, a man is great not because he hasn't failed. A man is great because failure hasn't stopped him. Next one. Self-belief propels one to action. Action leads to progress. Progress builds confidence. Confidence reinforces self-belief. This sets consistent long-term discipline in motion for a grander achievement. That's a great one, isn't it? It's all about the steps. Each of these steps leads to additional steps. So I'm going to read this one, one more time because it's a good one. Self-belief propels one to action. So step one is believe in yourself. Self-belief propels one to action. Actions lead to progress. Progress builds confidence. Confidence reinforces self-belief. This sets consistent long-term discipline in motion for a grander achievement. That's a really good one. Next one. Mastery begins with beginnership, which I know is not a word, but that was the one used in this quote, which is actually a good word. Mastery begins with beginnership. We got to remember when we're first starting out, don't compare yourself to others because you're probably not going to be as good as those you're comparing yourself with, but that's how mastery begins. Got to begin. Mastery begins with beginnership. This next one's nice and simple. Life has two rules. Number one, never quit. Number two, always remember rule number one. 
Again, that one is life has two rules. Number one, never quit. Number two, always remember rule one. Next one, train your mind to be stronger than your feelings. This is what hits home for me. We all have feelings. You know, I listened to another podcast a week or so ago, and it said, you know, if we listen to our feelings, when you wake up, you don't feel like doing anything, but maybe you get some coffee or caffeine into you, and you're feeling a little better, and maybe you have a high later in the day when you're exercising, or you do something that just really picks you up, but then later in the day, you're tired. So it's like, you can't listen to your feelings, because your feelings lie. There's only one thing that is true, and that is your mind. So train your mind to be stronger than your feelings. It's a great quote. Next one, freedom from effort in the present merely means that there has been effort stored up in the past. It's a quote from one of the U.S. presidents, Theodore Roosevelt. Again, it's freedom from effort in the present merely means that there has been effort stored up in the past. I think that's another good one because we can sometimes compare ourselves to people who've made it and maybe it looks like they're not running as hard or they're not working as hard or they're enjoying the fruits of their all of their work but you're not there yet and so you can't compare how they're not having to work to where you're at you're not to their level yet which again goes back to let's not compare ourselves right next one don't rush the process good things take time again that one is don't rush the process good things take time next one don't waste your life trying to impress other people. Do what you love, love what you do. Again, that one was, don't waste your life trying to impress other people. Do what you love, love what you do. All right, so next one. Remember the days you prayed for what you have now. It's a great one. Remember the days you prayed for what you have now. Isn't it just remarkable how fast we get what we want and then... We just take it for granted. And so don't do that. Remember the days you pray for what you have now. Next one. Just follow your joy, always. I think that if you do that, life will take you on the course that it's meant to take you. Again, that one is just follow your joy, always. I think that if you do that, life will take you on the course that it's meant to take you. Next one. It's very similar. Trust your intuition. It never lies. Again, trust your intuition. It never lies. Next one. You get in life what you have the courage to ask for. Again, that one is you get in life what you have the courage to ask for. For anything like me, probably not asking for enough. I'm never the one who's good at negotiating and asking for what I should ask for. And so I try to rely on some people around me to help push me to hold the line and ask for what I should ask for. The next one is, be proud you survived the days you thought you couldn't. Again, that one is, be proud you survived the days you thought you couldn't. Next one, pain never really goes away. You just elevate and get used to it by growing stronger. Again, that one is, pain never really goes away. You just elevate and get used to it by growing stronger. Moving along, don't waste your time stressing over things you can't change. Again, that one is don't waste your time stressing over things you can't change. There's so much wisdom in that one. Next one, don't dare to be different, dare to be yourself. If that doesn't make you different, then something is wrong. 
Again, don't dare to be different. Dare to be yourself. If that doesn't make you different, then something is wrong. Next one, don't lose hope. You never know what tomorrow will bring. Again, don't lose hope. You never know what tomorrow will bring. Next one, a strong positive mental attitude will create more miracles than any wonder drug. Again, that one is a strong, positive mental attitude will create more miracles than any wonder drug. Next one. Life's like a movie. Write your own ending. Keep believing. Keep pretending. So good, isn't it? The old fake it till you make it. Although I've heard an improvement of that quote, which is fake it until you become it, which is so much better. But this quote was life's like a movie. Write your own ending. Keep believing. Keep pretending. Next one. Never stop believing in hope because miracles happen every day. Again, that one is never stop believing in hope because miracles happen every day. This next one's a bit of a kick in the gut. But it is a quote from Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau. But the quote is, Not until we are lost do we begin to understand ourselves. Man, that's good. Isn't it so true, though, in life when you kind of get on that, the ice starts breaking and you know you're about to go into the water and you start to get scared or you start you, or you actually fall in the water, in the freezing water? That's when you realize who you really are. But again, the quote is, Not until we are lost do we begin to understand ourselves. All right, here's the next one. Don't let one cloud obliterate the whole sky. That's a great one. Don't let one cloud obliterate the whole sky. Next one. If you aren't making mistakes, you aren't really trying. Again, if you aren't making mistakes, you aren't really trying. Next one. Every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. That was a quote from Picasso. Again, that's a quote from Picasso, and the quote is, Every child is an artist. Their problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. Oh, that hits everyone, doesn't it? We listen to criticism way too much, and we judge ourselves, and then we start to second-guess that we have any talent or ability. Such a good quote. Every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. All right, next one. Don't complain. Rebuild your life. Again, don't complain rebuild your life. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10 plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, 
I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. Finally, I should mention my books. I've written 11 of them. You can find all of those books on Amazon by simply searching my name, Stan or Mitchell, or you can find the link to them in the Substack notes. Again, thanks so much, guys, for joining us this week. And with that, I am out.